0: Welcome to episode 92 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. On today's episode, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Jordan Lips. Before I tell you what Jordan and I are going to be chatting about, I want to give you a heads up. Next Monday, Monday, March 15th, the link will be live for a free webinar that I am hosting on the subject of the menopause fat loss formula. Can't lose weight after 40, really struggling with that? This is for you. Look for that link to go live. Sign up for the webinar. The webinar will be happening on Monday, March 29th. There will be multiple different time slots that you can sign up to attend live. You're going to want to attend live because there's going to be a chance for a q and um, I will put the replay of the live event available for you. If you can't make it live, however, look for signups, registrations, open... Open on Monday, March 15th. Okay, let's talk about this episode. Today, Jordan and I are talking about where the sweet spot is for change when you are trying to lose weight. Change too much, you're living that biggest loser lifestyle. We all know how that ends, right? Too much change, you can't sustain it. On the other end of the spectrum, you know how the saying goes, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So where is the sweet spot? How much do you want to change? Let's go. Jordan Lips, welcome to the program.
1: How's it going? Great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. So Jordan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us like five bullet points about you so people know who on earth I am talking to today.
1: Oh man, okay. Um, I am, my name is Jordan Lips. I am an MNU certified nutritionist and certified personal trainer. And had been doing that for about a decade before going fully online, which I absolutely love. Um, you know, things obviously have been very good to online coaches during the pandemic, but it's just been a great thing, overall quality of life. It's been nice to help more people and help them in a way that I'm feeling a little bit more fulfilled. Um, and so, yeah, started as a personal trainer, did that for about a decade. Then I owned my own gym over the last two years of that decade. And
0: you owned that, your own gym.
1: Yeah, a friend of I mine. I know that. Yeah, we worked under somebody for a long time. And we tried to become partners of our original gym. And you know, he, he wasn't having any of that. And so we decided, okay, screw it. We'll do our own thing. And we did. And it turns out, I feel like a lot of personal trainers think that owning a gym is the next step in their job. You know, it's like, get really busy. I was very busy. I had subcontractors. I was giving business away, things were really good. So all right, you should, next thing is own a gym. Turns out that's not the forward step. It's a lateral step. It's a different job. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really like I stopped coaching as much. I wasn't doing a lot of nutritional coaching at all. I was doing a lot of payroll, a lot of like, you know, uh, more clerical work and hiring and interviewing. And it just, it didn't feel like I was moving forward. It felt like I had changed careers. And so I quickly learned that that was not for me. And I was like, what I really want to do is coach people. And so, you know, that was important for me because I had to take that step, which turned out to not be a good step, but I had to take that to really realize, okay, this is what my purpose, my passion is like, I want to actually be working directly with people.
0: Uh huh. I find that happens a lot in life, right? We think we think what we want is one thing, and we end up going somewhere else. But we needed that step to help us realize what it actually is that we should be doing, that's best for us, that kind of stuff. So not wasted time, right? Still a really important lesson for you there. Totally. It was, it was
1: clarity. I mean, I wouldn't feel like it was closure. It was like I know this now. I have no like thinking about that. That was something I thought about for a long time, and I'm trustfully, you know, thankfully not looking at it anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when you're not talking nutrition and fitness, what are you most likely talking about? Oh my What's God. your passion outside of it?
1: <laughs> um, that's funny. Um, I like <laughs> I like dogs. Are you tell I me like,
0: nothing. <laughs> I like
1: dogs and I like soccer. Um, and those are two things that I'm I'm passionate about. My family come from the Netherland the Netherlands, and uh, so we're big soccer fans. And it's definitely something I enjoy with my family. And Jenna and I both played in college, so she's much better than I was. Um, okay. and so, yeah, we have a lot of fun with that, but outside of nutrition and fitness, soccer dogs, we're pretty, we're pretty low key. Uh, do you have a dog? We do. Her name is Callie. She's a sweetheart. i never had pets growing up. And so we got her about a year ago and I don't know, it's super cliche, but like entirely life-changing, just an amazing yeah. experience. So we have a blast.
0: So what kind of dog is she?
1: She's a Havanese and a Shih Tzu mix.
0: Okay. I have to tell you, Jordan, I'm getting a, my first dog. we are oh picking up we're yeah. picking our puppy next week. So we, we've been on this list to get a puppy. Our puppy, we've been watching the puppies now. Our breeder luckily posts on Instagram every day. So we get to watch all the dogs. And next week is puppy pick week. And wow. then um, April 5th, my dog comes home. This is going to be our first puppy. What kind? It's a mini golden doodle.
1: Uh, that was that. Jenna's gonna be pissed when she hears this. That was our number one. Oh, was um, it? We still have. I'm sure we still have deposits down on mini golden doodles. They're
0: hard to um, get.
1: Oh, they're tough to get. They're a hot commodity. They're like, and they're beautiful, and they're they're you know. People, some people say hypoallergenic is not a thing but they're less allergenic and so I'm yes. hypo so I, I mean I'm allergic and so you know uh, uh, that would have been a great a great choice as well so that that's yeah. super exciting oh my god yeah
0: I had no idea so see we're so naive about dogs we just like we decided to get a dog we're getting a dog that's what I thought like I'll pick one and then I get it when yeah. people were like there's like two- year waiting list I'm like what do you mean <laughs> like oh my god how is yeah. that a thing totally <laughs> um we yeah. luckily found somebody who was sooner than that but uh wow I'm super excited so yeah. I'll one of my best friends,
1: one of my really good friends is, is an amazing dog trainer. And so the day we brought her name is Callie got brought her home. He was over and he was like, this is what you're doing. This is what you're not doing. This is how like, and so she's been, she's like very well-trained and well-behaved and she has been on like, she's a tiny dog. And so, um, she's like 17 pounds, but she's been on like five, six, seven mile hikes with us in Sedona. And she's like, she's a complete uh, adventure dog. And so it's been, a, it's been super fun. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. All right. So I invited Jordan to come on specifically. I've been meaning to have you on anyway, but I I reached out specifically after I read a post of yours because I was just like, that was good. It was so well put. So I want to read the first, I think it was the first line of of the post that you had done. This is what Jordan said. If you're trying to eat 1700 calories while clinging to your 2400 calorie lifestyle, it's going to be tough. That's a good, that's, that's a really solid message there. Jordan, talk to us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. And it goes kind of well with Another post, and I wrote, I didn't even write that one down. I wrote the initially a uh, different one down about, you know, not everything about your fat loss regimen needs to be sustainable forever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's interesting because, like, the things that you do optimally to adhere to your deficit don't need to exactly mirror what your life is at maintenance. And that, like, you, we could boil down to what, you know, the two things that we just said to you're allowed to change some stuff, even if it's not forever. And that goes against a message that permeates through social media of you know if you're going to change something you know if you can't see yourself doing it forever don't do it and you know the when you had said that we were going to kind of maybe talk about this i i, I thought very in depth about it and i think that there are some issues with it but i still wholeheartedly agree that your like fat loss is not a lifestyle right and so you you like your fat loss calories are not a lifestyle if somebody who's living a fat loss lifestyle is dead right like just the calorie <laughs> deficit is not forever and so the things that you do to adhere to your lower calories, like it makes sense that if you're eating, let's say you have 2,400 calorie maintenance, we're going to use some just throw around numbers. And you're using 1,700 as your deficit, like, man, things are going to have to change. Like if you cut your pay, if, if your company cuts your pay by 20%, like you're going to change your spending habits. And that makes, that seems totally reasonable to me. Um, and it just goes against this idea of, you know, if you change something, it has to be forever. And I think that that can be there's it, every time there are a couple of things like that, that are in the industry that kind of not rub me the wrong way, but there that's not a comprehensive statement. It's kind of a lazy opinion because I know where people are coming from and it comes from a good sentiment of, you know, well, Jordan, you know, won't transition to maintenance be harder if I change a whole bunch of things. Yes, that, that is true, but that doesn't mean you can't change anything. And it, I think that there are a lot of good coaches out there who are saying, Hey, let's look at really Foundational habits that you can sustain over the long term. And let's build those. And I totally agree with that. But I also feel like it builds up this resentment towards changing anything at all. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's like, you know, listen, calorie deficit, we could hold up the conversation of should people be losing weight, whatever. But if you're trying to lose weight and you want to be in a calorie deficit, it's inherently, there's going to be some form of restraint, some form of restriction. It is literally by definition giving your body less food than it needs. Something's got to give. And I do believe in discussing non-negotiables with clients. If there are things like, hey, that you really need, that you really want, that you want to keep, that you're not willing to give up, let's have a talk about it. But everything can't be non-negotiable. Something has to give, you know, you're going to have to, you know, change something to better adhere. And so I just, the message I hope that gets across today is like, it's okay to change some things to adhere better, even if you know in your gut that it's not something you would be doing at maintenance.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, as usual, everything exists on a spectrum and people kind of tend towards one end of the spectrum or the other, right? So either everything has to change and you should be, you know, eating boxed meals that you've not given any thought to, right? And it's super low calorie and, you know, it's like bigger, lose biggest loser lifestyle, right? Or like the reverse of that, which is you shouldn't have to change anything and all of your habits should be exactly the same, right? And those are kind of the two ends. And really what's gonna work for most people, what makes the most sense is gonna be somewhere in between. I will tell you, I certainly say things more along the lines of guys, your habits now should be your habits after. But when I saw this, I'm like, it's totally right. Like some things have to change. and where I'm coming from with this is a person who, you know, I have lost a lot of weight in my life and regained it. And the times when I regained it, I'll give you one example, because it was the, it's the, the biggest one in my mind, is when I did Nutrisystem. I don't know if you're familiar with what exactly sure. Nutrisystem is, the little red boxes, at least mm-hmm. they used to be red, right? Um, and so what I, I lost 40 pounds, a little over 40 pounds. Um, all I had to do was every day I wake up and I pick for each meal, which red box I changed nothing. I mean, that's a big change. Then I'm like, if I go out to dinner, I'm bringing my own red box. Right. But those weren't in any way teaching me how to live next. Right. So when I woke up one day and I was like, I cannot eat another one of these boxes. Like I was, just the food was tasty, but it got to a point. It was like, I cannot do it another minute. And in my mind, I was like, I'll just keep losing weight, you know, on my own. I'll just like, you know, I don't think I thought like, I'll take what I've learned, but I was just like, I'll just keep doing this without without this. And what I quickly realized is I had not learned a darn thing. I had no habits in place, no systems, no structure, no knowledge. And I regained over half of that weight in just a matter of months because I hadn't learned anything. And so that's, I think, where I come from, where I'm like, you know, you guys got to get your habits in line, but they're not going to be exactly the same. So let's talk more specifically. What do you think are some specific examples of you know we're not going to try and live our 2400 calorie lifestyle on our 1700 calorie diet what are some examples of things that might need to change
1: yeah and i think you make a good point point. and i think that's it's conflating two ideas that i think you would agree with 100% i think you need a good base foundation of habits that will be sustainable long term and maybe a basic understanding of you know basic nutrition But some things are going to change. And so I think that it's, again, it gets lost in the fact that what we're talking about here has a bit of nuance, and that's difficult to communicate sometimes in social media. And maybe offline, you're having these talks with clients and coaches are that are a bit more nuanced, but it doesn't really get across in social media where it's like, yes, you can change some things. But if you change everything, and you don't have a foundational habit, then you are unfortunately, most or many people who are like, oh, I just go keto. And then I don't know what to do afterwards. And it's like, right. keto's issue is not to do with keto. It's that it usually creates such a drastic change that is done by people who don't have a good foundation beforehand and an exit plan for after
0: yes. that combination
1: of things where I don't have a foundation, then I change a lot. And I don't know how to change back to because mm-hmm. I don't have anything foundation to begin with. That is an, that's a recipe for disaster. I totally agree with that
0: that is a recipe for I just need to keep doing this over and over, right? Yeah, totally.
1: (laughs) And you asked some specific examples of sometimes things can change. And and I hate using myself as an example, but it was helpful because I have, this is the first deficit I've done in quite some time. I was doing a gain for a very long time. And I was trying to expose myself to intentional weight gain and a bit of discomfort and kind of work through some of my own shit on that, because I think that that's something that's not always easy to do, um, even for You know, fitness professionals or whatever. So now I'm in a place where I'd like to do a deficit because I also do want to expose myself to that side of things. But I caught myself, you know, I lost, I dropped a thousand calories from my surplus calories to my deficit calories. And I was like, there are just things that are going to have to change about the way I eat. And so for me, and I suppose clients as well, this isn't necessarily just a me thing, but adjusting my feeding window has been helpful. I used to, you know, when I was trying to eat at maintenance or at a surplus, like I would eat first thing in the morning and it would be, it would be fine. That would work really well for me. It's something I do like doing. And, and when I dropped my calories and I started to continue doing that, I just kept, you know, I did that. I I dropped my calories. I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep everything the same, change a little bit about my meal structure to adhere a little bit better. No big deal. I found myself very hungry later. And I found myself more adherent and more enjoyable when I very gently pushed my first meal back, not super rigid can't eat till one, but like didn't try to eat first thing in the morning. And I think that that is something I know in my gut, I'm not going to do if I have 500 or more calories. Like, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to eat first thing in the morning. It's something I like to do, but right now it's super helpful. Um, and, and so intermittent fasting, it's, we can call it that. We can just call it moving your first meal back a little bit. (laughs) That has been helpful. I know I'm not going to do it long-term, long-term. It's not something I love doing, but it's helpful for me right now. I can have a cup of coffee. I can push my first meal back. Like I have not eaten yet today. It's 943. Like I'm not overly stressed about the time, but yeah, I know that that for me will be a helpful strategy,
0: even though I'm not going to do it long term. So, adjusting people's meal time. So, people like yeah. looking at like your meal, your meal timing and your meal frequency might be something that needs to change to support you living in a deficit. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good one.
1: There, I have a, a bunch of ones here, but I think one right. that I just am excited to talk about is like counting calories. Like mm-hmm. Counting calories might be, I get goosebumps. Counting calories might be something that you do. During a deficit, because it is something that is allows you to be, you know, more accurate, more, more directly get yourself into a calorie deficit. But it might be something you know in your gut you don't want to do long term. Like Absolutely. that is the quintessential quintessential example. People are like, should I track my calories at maintenance? It's like maybe, may, maybe not. But should you track them in deficit? I think you, you can lean that maybe, maybe not a little bit towards maybe yes, because it, you know, a deficit is a little bit less intuitive and likely a helpful if you're a bit more intentional with it. And so shit, man, tracking calories is not something I'm going to do forever. I know in a deficit that that habit for me is helpful. And so I think that that's a huge one.
0: Yeah. And going along with that one, um, weighing your food more than just eyeballing it, that is not something I wish for any of my clients to like permanently do. Right. But while they're in a deficit, and especially when they're just beginning, or if they're, you know, pretty lean, trying to get leaner, that weighing is going to be so key till you have weighed enough that you're really good at eyeballing. Um, and even then, like, look, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty experienced at this and I'm in a deficit. Now I'm weighing every bit of my food because I just, I want to get into this deficit and I want to get back out. And I realize that the fastest way to do that is going to be to be adherent. And so the easiest way to do that is to weigh in grams, like literally everything I eat. Do I want to do that? Like, two years from now, I don't even want to be doing that six months from now. You
1: know? Well, you said something, and I think that this is an, an underlying, you know, when people talk about your experience dieting or how like skilled you are at dieting, I think one of those like skills or that inherent understanding for people who have maybe done this a couple of times is like, this is not, this is voluntary and this is not forever. And when you understand those two things, you're better able to compartmentalize these changes where you, you're like, I'm going to weigh everything. And it doesn't, it might not give you the kind of anxiety it might give somebody else because you know that you're doing this for a goal in the short term, short-ish term in relative sense to your life. Mm-hmm. And you know that you're feeling confident about undoing that habit and moving back to your higher calories where it might not require that level of, you know, meticulous tracking. And so for a lot of people doing that habit can feel daunting, you know, weighing, first if somebody's out there weighing your spinach leaves, you know, yeah. it can feel <laughs> like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to have to do this forever. But if you were somebody who's maybe a little bit more experienced, or you're working with a coach who can communicate this, like this is not forever. It serves a purpose. Here's our exit plan. Here are your base foundational habits. Here's what your life's going to look like at maintenance. Here's how we're going to practice it throughout our deficit so that you know, you know, your reverse diet back to maintenance isn't the first time you've ever done that. We should practice it in small chunks before Mm -hmm. we get there. And so you can do those things because you're, you know, in your gut, Hey, this isn't forever. I'm going to transition back to my normal life at some point. And so no worries. I can do this for the short period of time.
0: Yeah. that That's a really key point. All right. Hit us with some more, more specific examples of things that might need to change.
1: Yeah. And this is something you and I talked about on my podcast is the idea of how to handle temptation in the house. Now I know my food shop looks very, I mean, I cracked up. So Jenna, my girlfriend and I, are both in a deficit together. That's one of the reasons I was doing it is because it would be pretty miserable. Me in a surplus, her in a deficit, not fun. And so we did our food shop together. And, you know, when we were in a surplus, the food shop looked very different. And when we were in a deficit, it looked very different. And, you know, you had said something that stuck with me. It's like, you're not morally a better person by having, being able to have those certain temptation foods in your house and not eat them. And Again, I think it's personal. Uh, uh, there's a personal context, individuality to this, but I know that I'm just not going to buy certain foods that I know aren't helpful. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to only eat, be eating chicken and broccoli and brown rice and you know berries and like. Of course, I have some foods that are more snack foods, more you know hedonic, enjoyable foods, like whatever. But I also know that I, the way I'm going to set up my environment is a little bit more around abstinence, a little bit more about not having that stuff around. Again, because I know it's short term, and because I have an exit strategy, and so I thought. I think those are, I have a foundational, you know, basic good habits. I know it's not forever and I have an exit strategy. So I think those three things are important. If you're going to change stuff, if you're going to, you know, the more you change, the more you're going to have to change back. And the more you change, the more it's important to have that foundation and practice it and have an exit strategy. But for me, I know that for the next eight to 12 weeks, it's just probably a good idea for me to not buy like Cape Cod chips, like just probably, and Ben and Jerry's, like, this is probably not a good idea, not helpful. And I can, do that without feeling overly restrictive to a point where it maybe has some counter you know, uh, uh, negative effects because I know it's not forever. And I know that my life, mm-hmm. you know, your deficit calories aren't forever. And so if you're eating 1700, but you know when it's all over, maybe your maintenance comes down a little bit. You're like, okay, I eat 22, 23 when this is all over. Like you can have those things. And so it's, if you're compartmentalizing, if you're recognizing that this isn't forever, you can probably rationalize better making some of those changes.
0: Absolutely. And I think some... So many, particularly women, maybe men too, but particularly women, I think they live with a dieting mentality, like semi-permanently. And so hearing this feels really hard because they see no end to the diet, right? They just don't see it as an end, and that's a real problem. So you should have an end date, not an end date by like, I will stop this when I've lost X number of pounds, but an end date as in, I'm doing this for 12 weeks, I'm doing this for four months, however long it's gonna be, at which point I'm going to take a, a nice maintenance break. That is a very different feeling than to be like not bringing the Ben and Jerry's home versus whenever I lose fifty pounds, I get to bring Ben and Jerry's home.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's and I a think significant that, difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it's again, that's how it's how you're framing what you're doing. If if you think every change that you're making is going to be forever, well, then you're going to view not buying Ben and Jerry's in a very different light, and you're going to yeah. say, well, I'm never going to have this again. And you know that whole I'm never going to have this again is. Usually leads to a like just this Last Supper mentality where like anytime you do get your hands on it, you're gonna have it you know like crazy because you're like oh I'm never gonna have this again but you know you will and so it's tricky though because there are gonna be other people who having a little bit of Jerry's creates the optimal you know deficit environment for them mm-hmm. because they can have that sort of indulgence. I, I just don't think you have to be that way and I think it's okay if you can compartmentalize the deficit into like hey this is a short term thing I'm doing to lose fat and when I have more calories afterwards. I'll be able to ha- do X, Y, and Z. I'll be able to undo X, Y, and Z habit. I'll be able to start having breakfast and getting the chips. And you can do all of that all the time. It's a, it's not a can or can't. It's a decision that you're making that you know is going to help you be most successful at the task, task currently at hand, which you're recognizing isn't forever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think another good example of things that might need to change, Um, another good one is less eating out. Um, for, sure. for me, that has been not to say you can't lose weight eating out. You have to probably change how you're eating out, where you're eating out, what you're getting when you're eating out. But for many people, the easiest thing to do is just less eating out.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a huge one. I think uh, it, it's not something that people want to hear because people want to go out and they want to have their cake and eat it too. But, you know, it was so I, I was trying to do my best to play devil's advocate going into this conversation because I figured we'd have a lot that we would agree on. But the the question that people are asking while they listen to us is, well, won't I just gain it all back when I do transition out of this? Mm -hmm. And it's the question on everyone's mind. It's a question that I have every time a client has a little bit of success and fat loss because of making some of these changes, they start to associate success and feeling good with this change they've made. And they start to counter associate. Well, what if I don't have that, then I'll probably have this counter feeling of gaining weight. And I understand that fear, frankly, I totally get that. It's totally natural. It's like, okay, I, I'm intermittent fasting and I started losing weight. So when I stop intermittent fasting, will I just gain the weight? It's a legitimate fear. I get that, really? but like you do need to understand. And that's why having a foundation, practicing it during your deficit and talking with your coach about an exit strategy are imperative to making any changes. If you don't do those three things, first of all, I don't think you're being, you're ready to be in deficit anyway, but that's something we could talk about another time. But like, I get it. If you're If you're making changes and those changes lead to success and you're worried that, undoing those changes will make you gain all of the weight back. I think it's all the more important to be practicing maintenance during your deficit, having diet breaks, having longer maintenance phases where you do undo those habits and you practice not gaining all the weight back.
0: Mm -hmm. I think the other reason people have that fear is because they've had so little experience with intentional maintenance. They really have bounced from I'm losing weight to I'm gaining weight. I'm losing weight. So I'm gaining weight. So if I'm not actively losing weight, what's the other option? The only other thing is I'm gaining my weight back. And they don't understand that there is this entire space between those two, which is weight maintenance, which does not require the level of strictness with calories as a deficit does. And so really working with people to help the women specifically that I work with to understand you're not just going to gain all this weight back. What we're going to do is put you at maintenance, which is not the lifestyle you were previously eating, what you were living before was a surplus. An unintentional one, but it was a surplus.
1: Yeah. Intentional maintenance freaks people out. It feels like intentionally standing still, but it is actually the thing that, you know, I think something I believe wholeheartedly, if I looked across my clients, like one of the more indirect, you know, proxies of success or, or traits of successful clients or whatever, is like your ability to be at maintenance without viewing it you know, without doing it reluctantly by doing it and enjoying it and knowing that it is crucial. It is not a, it's not a break. It is a intentional, something that you're doing intentionally to set yourself up for later success. And I think that there's, you know, and I posted this yesterday and I'm, I'm believing it more and more like wanting to lose fat and being ready to lose fat are just totally different things. And I think being ready to lose fat, you know, there has to be some basis of intentional maintenance before that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can stomach taking on clients who have never, ever, ever done intentional maintenance, just putting them directly into a deficit. Because while practicing maintenance during your deficit is super helpful, you know, just that whole process of, you know, going from your deficit calories back to maintenance and seeing that the scale maybe goes up a tiny bit and going through that and having that expectation built where you're not assuming you're going to just maintain your lowest weight and never gain anything bad in that transition to maintenance, that's super important. But it's also tough to do you know, if you've never done it, it's tough to go transition to maintenance if you, you know, it's I just don't know if I want to be creating those foundational habits on the fly.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: even if it's two weeks at intentional maintenance or a month mm-hmm. or something, there has to be some form of buy-in to like, I don't, I think that it's less about getting more people to do deficits. It's more about the percent success rate. And I think that that percent success rate will go up if people practice intentional maintenance first. I'm not saying forever, you don't have to put your fat loss on hold but you do need to recognize that there's some sort of buy-in like this is not something your body wants to do and part of that buy-in is you know proving to yourself that you can be in intentional maintenance without doing it reluctantly and feeling guilty about it and feeling like you're supposed to be doing something else even if you're not at your goal weight especially if you're not at your quote goal weight yet like Mm -hmm. being able to maintain there without feeling guilty not doing it reluctantly really like i do believe that taking a break whether it's a deload or diet break a rest day If you're not doing it permissively, if you're not giving yourself permission to take the rest, if you're not, if you're doing it reluctantly and you're doing it the whole time, feeling guilty, like you should be, I should be training. What is this deload? I should be, I should be in a deficit. What is this diet break? Like you don't actually get the benefit of taking that break. It's like psychologically, it's not relaxing for you. It's supposed to be a break. And so I think that there's a lot of the the things there that are very intertwined.
0: So to your point of Someone wanting to lose weight, but not necessarily being ready to lose weight. Somebody listening to this right now who wants to lose weight, what are some things that would be, um, that you would say would be signs that they're not ready? So, like, I want to, but I'm not, but am I ready? Yeah, I think
1: uh, at face value, taking a look at, uh, you know, having ever done some period of intentional maintenance, uh, having, if you, if what, you know, when is the last time you did months, not weeks of not trying to lose weight? And if the answer is, I've been trying to lose weight for the last decade, more or less. With the switch flipped on, you know, on cruise control. Well, then I do think that that's something where it's like, yes, wanting is necessary, but it's not sufficient. And so you want to lose weight, but it's not enough. You, I think, spending some time intentionally in maintenance is psychologically important because it, it it gets you into a place where you're okay eating without seeing the scale go down.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: it's practically important because it's practicing the thing you're going to have to do afterwards and during. It's also physiologically important getting your hunger hormones, your satiety hormones, like all of those things that are going on in your endocrine system to a place where you'd actually be able to withstand multiple consecutive weeks in a deficit. And so it's important for a lot of reasons. I also think, you know, the all important assessing your relationship with food. I think if you're, if you're having, you know, binge restrict episodes or mm-hmm. you're still feeling like you're fighting this, you know, good, bad food dichotomy, um, you know, if you're still looking at foods as I can and can't have. And so I think that I think a lot of those things are actually ironically are fixed by doing or, or improved by doing some intentional maintenance. I think that mm-hmm. that's, you know, the, the, the constant pursuit of lower calories inevitably leads to periods of higher calories. You know, you can't always be trying to eat less. And so, you know, if you've never tried to eat at maintenance, a lot of good things happen there for sure.
0: I think another one is look at what's going on with the rest of your life. If you're in a period of intense stress, you're not sleeping, for whatever reason, things are crazy at work and with the kids, like if there's like multiple layers of big life changes happening, this might not be the time. And I think some people jump in cause they feel like I need to look better right now for like X, Y, and Z reason of, you know these big changes that are happening. It might not be the best time to add the additional stress of now I'm I'm eating at a deficit. That is stressful for your body. And if you've already got all these other things going on it might just be a better time for you to be in maintenance you might be more successful than trying to add the stress of a deficit on.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that somebody's counterpoint might be, well, you know, it's, it's never going to be the perfect time. And that's also another, that sentiment. is
0: absolutely true.
1: Totally. It's never going to be the perfect time, but I'll tell you what, there are better times than others. And <laughs> that is it,
0: so true.
1: It is. I have some client, I have a client who specifically comes to mind who was studying for the LSAT and really wanted to do a a, a, a deficit phase. And we just had a conversation about like, hey, like right now, like that's going to affect your cognition to some degree. It's going to affect your food focus. It's going to affect your, your, your fatigue. Um, it's going to affect your training for, you know, however those things kind of interact. And it just isn't the, is, 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 okay, it's not the best time. It's not going to be the perfect time. Like, but this is a worse time than afterwards. And so, like Absolutely. you said, just being honest about the other stuff that's going on in your life. Um, you know, you don't need eight weeks of being on an island where nothing happened in your life for you to go into a deficit, but there are going to be better times than others and pairing maintenance with better times in your life. Like I know that I'm sure you do this, where if you have a client who's in a deficit and they have a period three three activities let's say or they're going away for a super long weekend or they're going on a vacation like pairing maintenance with that time well guess what that's because that's a good time to do maintenance like it's a better yeah. time to give this person more calories just like there's probably a better time for you to give you know to be able to withstand giving yourself less calories totally
0: it's a really good point that there, there will never be a perfect time to lose weight. And so many people think there is, right? They're all waiting for this per, this perfect time. My very first online client, I was still a really pretty inexperienced coach, but she stayed with me for an entire year. In the entire year, we were working together. She just was never quite getting it on the ball. Like we just couldn't quite get all the, all the things happening at once. And she kept saying things like, well, you know, it's the spring. Things are really busy with all the school activities, which they are. It'll be better when summer comes and I, you know, I don't have so many responsibilities. Well, then summer came and it was like, Well, now we're traveling a lot, and things will be better when the fall comes and the kids are back in school and I have a routine. Well, then the fall routine was, you know, oh, now my kids are in competitive band stuff, so I'm I'm chaperoning. It'll be better when band season's over. Guess what hit next? Then it was the holiday season. Oh, it's gonna be better when the holiday season's over. And then it was January, and I'm like, what's she gonna say now? And she's like, you know what? I have seasonal affective disorder, so it's gonna be better in the spring. I'm like, that's when we started, and then You know, And I didn't say that, but I was thinking it when we got there, she's like, oh my gosh, I just realized there is never going to be the best time. It's literally not coming, is it? And I was like, it's not. But your point is totally valid. Just because there's not going to be a perfect time does not mean that sometimes are not the best time, right? Like, If your parent just passed away, let's, let's not go on a deficit that week. Like, let's wait, let's wait a bit. A really, really good point there, Jordan. All right. Give us a couple more um, examples of things that might need to change um, in a deficit.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to come, I want to get to that in one sec, but something that came to mind about your client there is like, it's better to be. At maintenance on purpose than at maintenance by accident. And so, like if you have a client who's like, you know, we're all right, we're gung-ho, we're ready, you know, maybe you even assess them beforehand mentally and they feel like they're ready to be in deficit. They have some of their relationship with food in, in check. And you start the deficit, and we're like four, five, six weeks in, haven't lost any weight, having trouble adhering. It's like this whole time, six, seven, eight weeks, whatever it was, the whole time you were trying to lose weight, man, that's fatiguing. It's probably a little bit stressful on the body. We could have intentionally been at maintenance and been, you know, getting physiologically and psychologically taking steps forward, practically Mm -hmm. taking steps forward. And so to your point, it's like, at some point, let's just stop trying to lose fat for a while and let's do it on purpose. It feels a whole lot better when you do something on purpose than when you're doing it, you know, when you're failing at something and you're ending up at a certain place. If you're, if you're trying to do something and it's not working, then it's probably better to just intentionally do the thing that you're end up doing, you're ending up doing anyway, Uh, feel a whole lot better.
0: Absolutely. Cause maintenance can feel like a real victory. If that's what you're trying to do, if you're like successfully maintaining your weight, and this is a great period, or it can feel like a real big fat failure. If what you're supposed to be doing yeah. in your mind is trying to lose weight and you end up at maintenance. So yeah. same exact results with very different, um, totally. um, feelings and attached to them.
1: And if you're, if you're lifting weights, and I don't mean to make this about aesthetics. It's not, but if you just, if people are out there so worried about aesthetics, oh my God, if I'm at maintenance, you know, I'm, I'm not moving towards the body I want. Like if you're lifting weights, there is no such thing as non-productive time. Like you, like there's no amount of calories that will make this not productive. Even if you slipped into a surplus, well, guess what? It's the most, that's the most productive eight weeks of training you've ever had in your entire life. So I just tell people like, if you're lifting weights, like a lot of this stuff is, you're always moving aesthetically forward, health-wise forward as well. Absolutely. That's why, that's why lifting weights is so so unique because it provides a long-term benefit outside of the calories you're burning in that moment and so if you have a client who's like wants to be toned and part of that is losing the fat and part of that is building the muscle and you're you're hammering away at the fat loss side of things it's just not panning out like hey let's go to maintenance like most of the people you and I work with can still benefit from appreciable amounts of recomposition at maintenance build muscle and lose fat at maintenance eating high protein putting together you know whether you've people always ask me about that. It's so quick, q and a I get every single time. And if you, even if you've been lifting for a while or dieting for a while, people are like, oh, I, I'm over my newbie gains. I can't, I can't really recomp anymore. It's like, man, if you've never put together high protein and an intelligently designed training program with enough effort, like you, mm-hmm. and you've never done that for multiple years consecutive, you still yes. have a ton of opportunity to recomp. So if you're listening to this, you're struggling with deficit, you're in and out, you're fighting it, like and you want to be toned and you know that part of that equation is the muscle building side, just take some time. That's t- that side of the equation takes way longer anyway. And so you're going to have to spend more time on that equation side of the equation anyway. So don't, don't, uh, don't think that the fat loss side of things needs to happen first. They both need to happen. Or that want, effort
0: piece is a really important part of the equation. So, cause so many people, even if they have been strength training, they have not been strength training for years at an appropriate intensity, yeah. tracking right? their workouts. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. So totally. I'd say most people listening could benefit from, uh, more intensity in their workouts.
1: Yeah. And, and we can circle back to the original question of things that need to change. I think amount of cardio is something that is, is tricky amount of steps, step count. Um, you know, some of those things that feel, you know, and Martin McDonald talks a lot about this is sustainable during fat loss. Like fat loss is, doesn't need to be sustainable. You need habits, you need foundations. Totally. You need to practice maintenance. Absolutely. But if you're getting 12,000 steps during your fat loss phase, because you know that's gonna be super helpful, but you're like, man, long term or when it gets to the winter time and it's really cold, like I'm gonna be stuck in the six to eight thousand range, and that's the realistic nature of your life. Like it's
0: mm-hmm. okay for
1: you to temporarily, and that's where a lot of people are afraid. They're like, well, I'm gonna go to 12,000, I'm gonna lose the weight, I'm gonna go back to 8,000, I'm gonna gain the weight. It's it should not be how it goes. it right. Should not be that is it it, it. it does come down on some level to some math, and if you go to 12,000 steps per day and you lose weight. And then you drop back down to six and you increase your calories too much. Sure, you might create an environment where you gain some of the weight back, but that is not the fault of you going up to 12,000. That is the fault mm-hmm. of this you know, lack of the, the balance of when you transition out of your deficit, understanding that maybe you don't change all the variables at once. Um, right. And so that, that's part of the nuance of the exit strategy. But I think mm-hmm. number of, even just counting your steps in the same way, counting your calories, you might not want to count your steps or even have a goal at all. Yeah, and that's me, by the way. This is my first time counting my steps in in, in about two years, and okay. uh, I I thought for sure I'd be like seven, eight. I was like, here, get get at least seven thousand a day. It's a little cold, you know. But you walk the dog a ton, like you'll you'll probably get there. I was at like thirty eight hundred the first day. I was like, oh crap. And,
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's and so because I, of what you do for work. That was stunning for me when I transitioned from being a person who trained people in person. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. to doing online training, I was stunned when I put a step tracker on and I was like, Oh my gosh, I am a sedentary person. Uh, It it takes a concerted effort. And now it's like second it's, it's easy for me, but you know, that took time. Mm -hmm. I had to really, I had to work at that for like six months after I made that transition to make it feel seamless in my life to just get 7,500 steps coming from, you know, sitting at my computer all day. Yeah.
1: And so I think that that just the act of counting your steps might not be something you want to do long-term, but you might mm-hmm. recognize it as a habit that in your deficit helps you achieve a deficit and achieve that goal. And you like, long-term, I'd rather just focus on getting two walks a day and I don't need to wear the Fitbit. And that's fine. That, that might be what maintenance looks like for you. Totally reasonable, but it might yeah. mean at the end of the day, a deficit is more intentional than maintenance. Maintenance, I'm not saying maintenance should be easy. Maintenance should also be intentional and it should be intentional for a long time before it becomes second nature. But it's probably more intentional to have to be in a deficit. It's less intuitive uh-huh. to give yourself less calories and move more and create a calorie deficit. So counting steps. And then also the number of steps you're doing is certainly something that I think is allowed to change.
0: Yeah, for sure. Another one that um, I would add to the list is the amount of alcohol will likely that one too, yeah. to change. Yeah, you, yeah talk yeah. to us about that one.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just in general, something that needs to change or something that should probably change is how you're how you're ranking the qualities of food. And I think that, you know, there are so many qualities of food from how satiating it is to the macronutrient profile profile to how delicious it is to, you know, all of these things. And I think if you go into a deficit, you know, not to speak on that whole hierarchy, but you probably bump up satiety to, you know, higher up the list. Does it need to be, you only eat high satiety foods all the time? Okay, you don't, but you should certainly bring satiety as a value higher when you're looking at foods does it need to be the number one thing who knows but like you should start to go through the supermarket and just be thinking okay I have less food hungers probably my number one enemy satiety per calories need to needs to be something I'm at least thinking about a little bit more and so mm-hmm. alcohol is just just not satiating per calorie it's just not helpful for muscle gain it's I'm not listen alcohol is fine you could drink you can lose fat totally fine it's enjoyable here and there it's and I'm not again not overly negative about alcohol but it's empty calories. Uh, doesn't fill you up and probably leads to an environment with lower inhibition and potentially more drunk mm-hmm. eating. And, uh, you know, it's just not helpful in any way. And so you need to be honest. I have a client, I don't know if she'll listen to this. I love her to death. Melissa, I love you. Um, she has, uh, when we first started, she had a non-negotiable of, of bourbon at night, um, you know, and in the beginning, she was writing in her, in her tracker and we were looking at the calories and I was like baffled that she wasn't losing weight. And I was looking at her, my fitness pal diaries and we were just kind of talking through like why it wasn't working. She wasn't even tracking it. She hadn't even thought to herself that this is something. And so that's another non-issue, but, but that is something that we have had to talk about. It's like as calories get lower, as you're getting you know, further into fat loss, it's like, is this a good use of my calories? You know, Am mm-hmm. I getting any satiety, any protein, any nutrients? And am I maybe creating an environment where I'm a little tipsy and I just don't care as much?
0: It's a big one. It's a, that's a big one. So when it comes down to it, this whole discussion, if you kind of compare the calories to like budget guys, you just can't try and live a Gucci lifestyle on a gym teacher salary. Love
1: it. That's awesome. So true. That's
0: where we're going with this. So let's kind of take it from the other direction then what habits and systems do you think are most important for people to be practicing in a deficit to successfully maintain their lifestyle. Even though we should, we just talked, we hit a whole bunch of things that are going to change. What are some things people should be practicing while they're in a deficit to be successful at maintenance?
1: That is a good question. I think the I think on the spot, one that immediately came to mind and maybe more will come as we as we talk about this more is I think the most important thing that I wish I could convey to maybe everybody on planet earth in terms of meal composition is starting each meal around a protein and a plant. And if you just do that, I think you're, I think so many, you'll have so many knock on benefits. It's like what protein, when you're thinking about what you're going to eat for X meal, you're like, what protein am I having? And what plant plant being a fruit or a vegetable. And if you just keep that as a staple and I, it, first of all, nutritionally, it's a good idea. High protein, good for muscle gain, good for a lot of other things. And plants, high in nutrients, high in fiber, good things physiologically, really good. But but also really, really, you're building a satiating meal right off the bat. Um, and it, you know, that's not something that comes intuitively, intuitively to a lot of people. And I think it also has to do with how you were brought up. Were you a family that had a protein-centric lifestyle at dinner? Like, did you eat family dinners together with like this, every meat, every plate had a protein? I feel like that's sometimes, if that's not the case, then sometimes, it, you know, you're you struggle to not realize that a bowl of pasta is not a meal, you know, and and so I think that would
0: <laughs> that was such a hard one for me to realize. <laughs> You're As like, Italian not girls, cheese not a girls, meal? Like eating <laughs> pasta? I'm like, wait, what the heck? This, yeah, this yeah, yeah. should not be the meal. Like that's totally. like a small side dish. What? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So I think basic meal composition habits, and and in that vein, starting each meal with a protein and a plant, you just are that's going to indirectly reduce the amount of calories you're eating just right off the bat. Um, It's also, I found actually a good way to, like, I would say to a client, you could start each meal with a protein and a plant. I just don't care what else you do with the rest of the plate. Totally fine. It just usually will lend people to a more overall nutritious choice for whatever else goes on that plate. It's very unlikely that someone's like, okay, protein, plant, bucket of ice cream on the plate. And I'm not trying to push people away from high, uh, high, uh, high-calorie, high-palatable foods. Like there's a place for the, all of that stuff. But you had said, like, what's a foundational habit? I'm I'm walking somebody through a maintenance block for four to eight weeks before we start a deficit. Like we're getting a protein and a plant on every meal. Like yeah. that is for sure something we're doing.
0: And that and I love it because that really should be permanent in people's lifestyles. Whatever, wherever you are on trying to lose weight, gain weight, maintain weight, protein and plant at. I would say all, if not most meals. Yeah, like, don't.
1: Yeah, you miss one you at know. the end of the world. That's
0: yeah, sure. like yeah. let's do it. I think that's a huge one. All right, I'll name one and then we'll have you name one. Yeah. Um, the huge one for me is not eating when you're not hungry most of the time, right? So if if you're in Paris and you're not that hungry, but you get to finally have like the best crepe in the world, fine, go ahead and eat it. But not eating when you're not hungry most of the time and stopping when you're satisfied most of the time. I think if you can really nail that, you're going to be so good at maintaining your weight.
1: Yeah, you, you, I mean, you you and I would both agree that that's something that takes time to recognize, takes time to recognize your satiety signals. And I think, I think also in that same note is starting to pay attention to which foods do make you feel that way and which foods don't. And, you know, it's easy for us to say, okay, you know, the chips don't make me, the chips are low satiety, high calorie foods, but until you really pay attention and you experience that, you know, I'm in a deficit right now. And I know that for me, that. There are my protein shake meal with 200 grams of frozen berries and 50 grams frozen avocado. It's a low calorie meal, but I am full for hours and yeah. starting to recognize which of those foods, like it's nice to talk about. Most people don't really understand until you are doing it. And if you're like, well, I just had this burrito at lunch and I'm starving afterwards, starting to kind of just piece together, which foods do make me feel a little bit fuller and which foods, you know, don't.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Give us another one.
1: I would, I, I'm biased here, but I would say some form of strength training, mm-hmm. uh, and it isn't even in a fat loss. It has nothing to do necessarily with fat loss. You're not strength training to burn calories. You're not strength training to lose extra fat. I just think that it is a habit that is it's a style of training that I believe is just unique. And yes, movement is super important. I think that another one, you know, would be some form of, of a movement habit, mm-hmm. but I do think that strength training is unique. And it's something that I would push on anybody, or at least try and convince everybody to do, uh, not even from a fat loss perspective, but just from an it it gives you something else to worry about other than your weight and the fat loss and calories burned and it gives you a part of an equation that actually can kind of throw people for a loop sometimes because they're like not losing weight I'm looking better and feeling better and all of a sudden it can kind of devalue or bring down the importance of or take off the pedestal the scale and your exact number that you weigh and so I think strength training adds a, a component that is different from calories in calories out that most people What you want is not just to be a smaller version of yourself. You most, I'm not, uh, not everybody's after aesthetics, but for those of you that are, the word aesthetic means some component of lifting weights at some point, most of the time. And so I think that that would be a habit I would love for people to do, even if it's outside of fat loss. I think it's helpful to give you something else to worry about other than calories burned. Like how much are you lifting? Like how strong do you feel? What's your, you know, whatever, aesthetically, it's it's certainly a big part of the equation. So I, I, I think that that would definitely be one.
0: For sure. And look, even if we're talking non-aesthetics, if we're just talking about being healthy. This is something I talk about with my people all the time, because look, I'm a 50 year old woman. This is, this is really weighing on my mind. Like I don't want to be 75 and somebody has to come help me get up off the toilet. Like I wouldn't be able to do that on my own power. I don't want to break bones. I did not know until not that long ago, that one out of two women over the age of 50 break a bone due to osteoporosis. That's crazy. And you know, that it's, that it's somewhat in our control to prevent that by strengthening our bones and strength training is a massive part of that. That weighs heavy on my mind, you know? So even if aesthetics aren't your thing, like if you want to be a healthy functioning, um, senior, let's go strength train.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, that's something that unfortunately doesn't become real until you see somebody in your life. It happens to them. And I'm not saying it's too late by that point, but I do do wish that that was something that people resonate more. And I have had some. I love to hike and uh, it's one of the things that my, my friends and I do quite often is we go on a big hiking trip and the last hiking trip, my knee was really bothering me and it just hit me. I was like, you aren't in the gym to, like for me personally, I was like, I need to you know, really internalize that feeling of like, I wanna be doing this when I'm 80 or 70 or whatever, or as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, and I'm in there when I'm squatting. Yeah, I care about how much I'm lifting, I guess, a little. And I care about, okay, aesthetically, growing my legs, whatever. But like, I want my technique to be good. I want to be focused on just general health benefits of this. Physical autonomy is something that, like you said, like, I want to be living my physical life on my own terms. And I think that those are, unfortunately, things that, you know, don't get internalized until not it's too late, but, you know, until you see it happening, like people mm-hmm. are like, yeah, 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 And then your parent falls and breaks their hip and you're like, oh, yeah, like, I don't want to do that.
0: don't so, want to be that person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jordan, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you if they are looking for you?
1: Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, you guys can find me on Instagram at Jordan Lips Fitness. And I have my own podcast that Kim was on. We had a wonderful episode. I still get people raving about it. And uh, the, the podcast is called Where Optimal Meets Practical. And yeah, you guys can search for that. And those I get tagged
0: for being in that podcast episode more than any other episode. I've been on quite a few podcasts. I still like if that was 6 months ago and I still like I don't know, maybe on like once bed. a week or so I get tagged about that episode. Yeah. That was a good episode. I was You're... so stinking sick when we totally talked Jordan. Amazed. I was so sick. You're in the I didn't realize how sick I was. Yeah. Like at the time I was just like, oh, I'm going to get better. Like I'm better in a few days. And I like I had no idea what I was facing then. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely.
0: Well, thanks so much for being here. This was fantastic.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks so much for being here and listening in to the Fitness Simplified podcast today. I hope you found it educational, motivational, inspirational, all the kinds ofational. <laughs> if you enjoyed it, if you found value in it, it would mean so much to me if you would go ahead and leave a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening to this on. It really does help to get this podcast to other people. Thanks so much.